Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In our ongoing exploration of who gardeners are and where gardeners are and what they are growing in this world, I'm thrilled to be joined this week by Maria Rodale. Maria is perhaps the most public-facing descendant of the famed Rodale Organic Gardening Family Institute and their combined legacy. Maria is a self-described explorer in search of the mysteries of the universe. An author, artist, activist, and recovering CEO, she serves on the board of the Rodale Institute and is also a former board co-chair. Throughout her career, she's advanced the potential of organic regenerative farming to heal the damage wrought by pesticides and industrial agricultural practices. She's the author of Organic Manifesto and Scratch. She's also a secret children's book author. She was featured in the documentary, Kiss the Ground. Maria is a mother, grandmother, and crazy gardener who lives in Pennsylvania, right near where she was born. This week, we take a deep dive into the heart of the lessons of all of our gardens through the lens of Maria's garden journey, documented in her newest book, Love Nature Magic, Shamanic Journeys into the Heart of My Garden. Maria, I have been a follower of your work and certainly the legacy of your family, and it is a great pleasure to have you join us today. Welcome. It's such an honor to be here, and I'm really grateful that you asked me to speak with you today. So, you know, it's hard, I think, probably for you, for me, for listeners to get uh, around or inside or uh, on the other side of the last name Rodale. I have introduced you in, in the way that I have chosen to perceive you. Introduce us to you in your own way. How do you introduce yourself and in that introduction, like what is the importance or role of plants in your life, Maria? Well, I have a long and convoluted history and story of gardening um, in that I grew up in the family that started the organic gardening and farming movement. And I grew up on that that farm that my grandfather, J.I. Rodell, came up with all his theories on and I spent a lot of time just engulfed in nature. Interestingly, my grandfather and father were more farmers, but my grandmother and mother were more gardeners. So I learned to garden from the women in my family and I learned to farm from working on the farm and from from men. And then I learned the basics but made those basics my own when I had my first garden of my own. And I realized that I loved creating landscapes and growing food and plants and herbs and trees to create artistic views of what I wanted to see in the world. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I spent decades gardening like that. And it wasn't until recently that I realized that nature was asking me to tell a new story and to create a new type of landscape. And that's what I did through Love Nature Magic, and I'm still doing today. Every day is a new day in the garden, as you know. Right, 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 right. And that is one of the great joys and um, and mysteries uh, that we keep going back out there to be part of, for sure. So you've already started us on this journey. So let's go back a little bit and um, add any more details that you might like to add to that that history of the people and places and plants that grew you, not only into the woman you are now, but to the woman you were maybe five, 10 years ago, as you took on the corporate mantle of what your grandfather, grandmother, father, mother had had created and what it had become in our American world in those last, you know, 15, 20 years back, how you have moved, not necessarily beyond it, but you have grown through that into a different place. Well, I was employed early on by the publishing company that my grandfather started and my father led, and then my mother Um, took over after my father died. So I spent most of my career, all of my career, really, working in the publishing industry, doing um, publishing books on health, fitness, gardening. We published, you know, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. So I was very steeped in the business of both publishing and the environmental and gardening world. And I got to see up close all sorts of things about how people garden and how people deal with their health and the environment. And at the same time, I was also a board member and and co-chair of the Rodell Institute, which is the scientific research organization that studies organic and regenerative organic agriculture compared to chemical agriculture. So I've been like a, a deep studier of human and environmental behavior around the environment and health. And um, we made a unanimous decision as a family about five years ago to sell the publishing business, which freed me for the first time to integrate all these parts of my life to create a unified field of who I am. (laughs) <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of separate parts. Um, I'm mm. still involved in the Rodell Institute very much, which I love doing, but I'm now able to focus 100% on who I am. And who I am is a writer and an artist and an explorer of the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> I think that is a beautiful entrance into exactly who you are now. And who you have always been, but have had to navigate who you are within the confines or constructs, as it might be, of a lot of of legacy and history. And I think in an interesting way, Maria, that is kind of a a metaphor or simile for for all of us living in in the U.S. as an economy, as a culture, as a society, and having to make decisions about what 
what constructs no longer serve us as gardeners, as humans, as beings on this earth. And as a gardener, keep taking us on this journey a little bit. You became the CEO of the publishing company. You as a family decided to let that publishing company go. This was about what year? Five years ago, I think you said. So we're talking about 2018. Right. Not long before the pandemic comes crashing down. Take us to that moment in time, because um, it's really the germ that will germinate into what becomes Love Nature Magic. Well, in 2018, when we made this decision to sell the company, the publishing industry was in free fall because of the internet siphoning off all the advertising dollars and readers canceling subscriptions because they could get all the information they wanted about anything for free online. So there was a moment of, you know, why are we doing this? <laughs> and we were not like a startup in that we had, you know, 70, 80 years of infrastructure and pensions and technology that was put together with duct tape. So we had to really make the tough emotional decision. And I'll never forget my nephew in the board meeting said, you know, the legacy of Rodale really lives in the Rodale Institute. And that will continue. Because even though we were doing health publications and fitness publications, that really wasn't the heart of what it meant to be a Rodale. What Rodale is really about is our relationship with the earth and how to live in harmony with nature and how to be healthy through our relationship with the planet. So thank God we sold when we did because the pandemic would have destroyed everything for us. So um, I feel like my ancestors were looking over my shoulder and helping me to make the decision that we did. Mm -hmm. So take us to the aftermath of that. Tell us your germination story for the journey you went on that became Love Nature Magic. Well, it's important to realize that I started that journey to my true self before I sold the company. I had been secretly studying shamanism and doing shamanic journeys to help me figure out how to save the business, you know, how to have better relationships, how to figure out how to do what I wanted to do with my life. You know, as you know, as you get older, the horizon is closer <laughs> and the urgency to live your true self really um, explodes. So when we sold, the other important thing to realize is it wasn't an immediate shift. Because I was the CEO and, and the person responsible and the way, the way the sale was structured, it took me three years to clean up everything, wind things down, sell buildings, organize things. It was actually four years. It was in that time. I even wrote a whole other book that nobody wanted to publish 
And I was like, now what? And it was while I was out gardening and trying to eradicate mugwort that I got this idea to do a shamanic journey to talk to mugwort. And that was so transformative that I started talking to other things, you know, doing journeys to other things that annoyed me in my yard. And that's when the idea for this book, Love Nature Magic, came about. And um, it, it really, it was more just like, this is fun. <laughs> I'm having fun with this. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're in conversation this week with Maria Rodale of the famed Rodale Organic Gardening Family, Institute, and Legacy. We'll be right back to Maria's stories and lessons from the heart of her garden life journey. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Are you all familiar with the NAP ministry? I hope you are. A good friend sent me the Knapp Ministries rest deck as a gift for my November birthday. I love and admire and am frequently and blessedly schooled by Trisha Hersey's ferocity, clarity, and no-bullshit approach to the many things we need to fix in this world. One of the things we need to fix is our mindset on the value of rest and how without rest, we cannot fix much else, let alone have the imagination to rethink and regrow this world for the better. Rest, dormancy, restoration. These are all seasonal lessons of the garden we are all schooled on with each turn around the sun, with each return of winter's dark and restful lessons and blessings. In this time of the calendar and mainstream cultural year, when we are being besieged, implored, manipulated, and sold into an idea of constant activity, constant consumerism, spending of energy and resource, being pushed into life as grind and frenzy, listen to Tricia, the Bishop of Naps, and listen to the plants and gardens around you, whom I'm tempted to call the empresses of seasonal and cyclical rest. Don't forget to rest and dream, to stop, look, listen, and love from a place of quiet and rest. We're back now to our conversation with gardener Maria Rodale, a self-described explorer in search of the mysteries of the universe. 
many of which she finds in her garden. Maria is also an author, artist, and activist. Throughout her career, she has advocated for the potential of organic regenerative farming to heal the damage wrought on our earth by pesticides and industrial agricultural practices. As we come back to our conversation, we move from Maria's storied past and family and get right into the germination story for her newest book, Love Nature Magic. Well, if I I go back and look at my journals, I've been focused on love, nature, magic for about 10 years. Really, it started with journeying. And they're the three things that are core to humanity, really. You know, love, everybody wants it and needs it. It's not always easy. The greatest challenge of all, perhaps. You know, then nature, it's like we're all part of nature. It's who we are. Um, it's what everything is and it's what we as gardeners are, you know, interacting with at all times. And then magic is that thing that just happens when everything is going in the right direction. And, you know, it's not like magic, like witch magic. It's just the magic of synchronicity, of harmony, of things going smoothly and, and connecting with people. And so those three things where I I felt like guiding me for a long time. And when I was doing these journeys, those were the themes that came through loud and clear in all of my interactions with the nature beings that I spoke with. Yeah. Well, and it, while it could seem a little bit like a trite reference to eat, pray, love, which had such monumental success, It also, for me, as I was reading, brought up a lot of images and references to other three-part, you know, trinities or trifectas, whether that's the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, whether that is um, Anne Lamott's, you know, three words for thank you or three ways of being grateful in the world. And what I, I remember as I was reading and doing my circling and underlining and checkmarking is I was like, well, this is this is Maria's formula for what is divine in this world. Like these Mm -hmm. three things together equal God for her. Yeah. And they are all right there in our gardens and our gardening practice. And I just, that is a beautiful thing. So talk to people first about what is shamanism and why is it not a word to be either uh, scared of or think that, oh, Maria's, culturally appropriating something else or that it is, as you referenced earlier, it's witchcraft. Like define shamanism and and how you came to it or it came to you in your life as a practice. So shamanism is prevalent in every culture around the world. I mean, the word comes from the Siberian shamans, which means to see, they're seers. There's different words in every culture for what a shaman is, but it's a practice of uh, healing and connecting with nature and the spirit world and helping people to find 
whether it's health or enlightenment or joy in their lives. Shamanic journeying is a very specific practice that is a form of meditation that happens to the beat of a drum or a rattle. It's it's the rhythmic pattern that biologically enables you to travel into other realms and speak to other beings. And this is something, again, that happens in every culture in the world. It's not just, it's not just in one specific culture. And it's, you know, it's, it's not something to take lightly. That's why opening sacred space is so important because when you're interacting with, you know, I'll just call it spirit, you know, other worlds, other consciousness, you know, there's, there's not everything is good and benign in the world. So you want to protect yourself and just make sure that you're not picking up anything. Um, Cause what shamans also do is often that, you know, and I'm not a shaman. I don't do this. <laughs> I don't have plans and I don't want to do this, but you know, I do know shamans who will extract spirits from people who, you know, have spirits of other people passed on attached to them. So, so it's just, you know, it's like a protection to open sacred space, listen to the drum. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't have to be sitting outside looking at what I'm journeying to. I just have to kind of ask that spirit to come and guide me and show me what I need to see or what they want me to see. And, um, and then, you know, I do that for about 20 minutes and then I immediately write down exactly what I can remember because journeys are a lot like dreams in that they can fade away. And sometimes it seems crazy and I don't understand what happened, you know, but then after thinking about it or doing research, I do understand. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's something anybody can do. Right. But carefully. Yeah. And it's, as I was reading, you know, and of course, uh, I think you address this in the book, that there will be many people that that enter the book and think, oh, whatever, like, you're crazy, roll your eyes. But I also think that there are so many access points to the idea of asking for help or direction or insight, whether we are praying, whether we are journaling, whether, you know, you are Michael Pollan and you are studying uh, the psychoactive elements uh, that have been used traditionally ac- across the globe in all cultures in order, again, to gain insight about who we are and where we are and why we're here, right? And it this desire for direction and insight and and help and guidance is a universal longing in in humanity and this is very much in that vein as i read it from my seat and the idea of the lessons of the garden being active voices and guides for us is where you start off so you have had several of these experiences they have been formative for you in helping to make decisions as you make you you navigate this corporate you know world that you've you you took on and then were able to transition through tell us about the story of the mugwort what was happening and why was this mugwort pissing you off and first of all 
Let's make it clear that the mugwort, which is a common name uh, that we are speaking of right now, is the uh, introduced Artemisia vulgaris that is a pesky and often can designated invasive plant, specifically um, east of the, the Rockies, different from what we in California call mugwort, which is a native, lovely Artemisia douglasiana. Again, both of those names are you know, overlays to historic plants that have populated our planet for a very long time. So go from there. What was your trouble with Artemisia vulgaris, Maria? First of all, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. And I have a friend who is a really a, a fancy high-end landscaper who I had called in to do some work for me. And I asked him, you know, what is this plant? And he's like, Ugh, it's mugwort. Like, the only thing that'll get rid of it is Roundup. And, you know, I, I say in the book, it's like, for the first time in my life, I actually considered it because I was just so, I had this idea in my head of the perfect garden, you know, from years, decades of like being a passionate consumer of gardening magazines and gardening books and traveling to famous gardens in Europe and, and like, those images in my head did not have mugwort in them. <laughs> <laughs> and so when the pandemic started, I was like determined to get rid of mugwort. And I, you know, I was stabbing at it and pulling it out. And, you know, the roots are just crazy. And they go on forever. And that's the moment when I just, you know, I stood up and I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I felt I literally felt mugwort trying to talk to me, you know, trying to get in touch with me. And it's like, and saying, and it was just like a little piece of mugwort going like, hold on a minute. <laughs> you know, Is this how you want to spend the rest of your life? Is this really that important to you? And that's when I said to myself, okay, I'm going to try talking to you tonight because there was a a regular session happening that night and um, a journey, a, a shamanic, a, a led a communal shamanic journey guided yeah. by your friend Lisa. Uh, just so right. that listeners are clear where we are, yeah. And and I yeah. love that because I think many many gardeners will will know that experience of like you won't live here. You live too much here. Like, what am I supposed to be learning here? There's a lesson here. What is it? Yeah. Keep going. And, oh, boy. You know, did I learn the lesson? <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm still learning it, you know, post post the book. So, you know, that the main message I got from Mugwort was, you know, why are you always trying to, to kill me? You know, it's not going to it's not going to work. Plants rule the world. And it was like, oh, interesting huh but it was also what happened after that journey you know after that journey mugwort continued to show up and and honestly it's still showing up. i'm still learning things from mugwort that you know aren't even in the book that um you know it's considered one of the most sacred plants in the world you know even among witches <laughs> I, I didn't know. So even the Pennsylvania Dutch, as you point out, even the Pennsylvania <laughs> Dutch, of which I am descended right. from. So it was that kind of shifting of my mindset 
from, you know, this weed is an invasive enemy to, oh, this plant is my teacher and it's sacred. And, um, and by the way, with the climate and environment, the way it is, it's like, why am I trying to create some perfect image that is so much work and doesn't really lead to any happiness and joy? So I now consider myself a gardener of mugwort. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Or or being gardened by mugwort. I love it. <laughs> and so this first lesson, you know, and you are you are in the pandemic, you are post the 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 deconstruction of generations of Rodale work and having to come to grips with that. You are um in the aftermath, I, I'm not exactly sure how long in the aftermath of, of a divorce, and you are facing 60 or just having turned 60. So these are some pretty big shifts. And mugwort shows up. You go on this first sort of, I'm going to use my shamanic journey tonight in order to talk to mugwort. And that one lesson conversation, uh, which as you note is ongoing, leads to a whole lot of others. And in some cases, it leads you to recognize that you've actually had some of these conversations before, but they need completing. You go through conversations with not only plants, but the the wildlife animal beings that show up in your garden, and even with fungal relationships towards the end of the book. Would you like to share one more profile that you focused on that comes to mind for you right now before we talk about some of the the you know real takeaways as a gardener in our world right now well the one that comes to mind that you just brought up was the uh the fungus among us <laughs> which i hadn't even included in the original manuscript you know i'd submitted the manuscript and um and then I got a bout of ringworm that, I mean, I'd never had ringworm in my life and it wouldn't go away. And I called Lisa, you know, we were talking about something else and she said, you didn't include fungus in the book. You know, that, you know, I think you should do a journey to fungus. And, you know, I think that's was like epitomizes the the lesson of all of this is that nature is constantly trying to talk to us and trying to get our attention, even sometimes in very difficult and hard ways. So when I did the journey to fungus, it it was like, oh, this is the missing final chapter. I didn't even know it was missing. Right. So I was very grateful to the fungus for showing up. Which is hard to say, right? I'm grateful to you, ringworm. But <laughs> Which, of course, is a fungal infection that expresses on the skin, and you normally do pick up um in the you know, in the world around you or from other people. And, of course, I'm sure the minute, like the the last chapter I was laughing too, because as an organic gardener, you know that the fungal relationships are are so crucial, and they're everywhere. And right? And so you're like, of course, I should have put in um one of these mycorrhizal fungal relationships right. <laughs> 
This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're in conversation this week with Maria Rodale of the Rodale Organic Gardening Family, Institute, and Legacy. We'll be right back to more of Maria's garden life journey and her newest book, Love, Nature, Magic. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer again. While rest is a focus of plants in the winter season, secondary lessons are definitely those of finery. Think red berries and sparkling frost and blankets of snow. Festivity, gratitude, and ritual around both, these are all lessons also brought to us with and in our gardens this exact time of year. There is a lot of weight and worry and work being done to offset the heaviness and worry in our world. And these are important to give time, energy, and space to. But as Maria and I noted in the first part of our conversation today, and I try to remind me and us of in every talk I give, Our greatest strengths in these garden practices and how they can grow the world is that we love them and they bring us so much joy. Love and joy. These are the fun parts of life and fun is an excellent directional. Take your guidance in this hectic season from what is truly fun what is truly fine, what is truly festive, the people, places, and plants that bring you love and joy and rest. You can grow from there when it's that season again. Happy December, gardeners. We're back now to our conversation with Maria Rodale, a gardener, a mother, a grandmother, a thinker, an artist, an activist. We are discussing her journey to writing her newest book, Love, Nature, Magic, Shamanic Journeys into the Heart of My Garden. As we come back, Maria shares both the openness and courage it took to share this personal garden story with others and her hopes for what it might help propagate and grow forward in the world. Well, my greatest hope is really that people start paying attention to nature as the sentient beings that they are and respecting them and also letting themselves be more free and wild at the same time as letting nature be more free and wild. I mean, there's the way that the environment and climate is happening Mm -hmm. at the moment, I think demands that we let nature do what it needs to do to heal the earth and heal the planet. And that will actually heal us. You know, Mm -hmm. they know what they need to do. (laughs) We just need to get out of the way. We need to stop, you know, putting pesticides and chemicals on things, stop forcing plants to grow where they shouldn't grow. Stop, you know, trying to have like 
the perfect lawn every single place you know just like let let nature kind of lead the way mm-hmm. and i've seen in my garden a massive transformation since i've just relaxed you know <laughs> so describe that describe that transformation for listeners maria well it's everything from I have a lot of roses and they're just exuberant. You know, they have like, like, it's almost like they are singing with joy. It's like, she got it. She understood. Yay. Let's show her how happy we are. (laughs) (laughs) So like, you know, the, you know, vegetables growing better than I've ever, it's, you know, it's like this magical thing that seems to be happening. And at the same time, I'm letting quote unquote weeds take over a lot of my yard and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. So it's my feelings have changed. So mm. I did a chapter on thistle, as you know, and um, I have this one area of my garden that I've completely let go to thistle. Cause that's what wants to grow there. And the bees are loving it. The birds are loving it. And, you know, it's like, it's actually kind of pretty, you know, <laughs> I don't mind it. So it's a combination of just like, letting things go and letting myself go and appreciating that nature knows what it's doing. Yeah. And, you know, nature wants to be seen and heard and appreciated. Yeah. And there's, there's a a through line in the book um, right from that first battle with the, the mugwort. And I use battle very specifically because there is a line in the book and I, I can't remember if it's, in fungus or if it's, I mean, if it's with the, the ringworm one or if it's um, earlier, maybe it's with the, the vulture stories, but that one of the things, this mindset of perfection of only this way is the right way. These boxes we put ourselves in and then cannot see the box, whether that's an economic model or a garden model. Um, are defeating. And if we can see them and deconstruct them and allow them to kind of compost away so that there's room for something else to grow, one of the things we see is that in in trying to eradicate something that we think is trying to take over, we are becoming the thing that's trying to take over, that everyone has the capacity to become a fascist. Right. It was like a very powerful line. And I think... It will resonate for any gardener who has tried to battle invasive plants. And there is a lot, and this is a conversation that I have with a lot of people over time and space, that there there are good reasons, many good reasons, to try and keep invasive plants under control to some extent. Um, but to have that be our sole focus all the time isn't isn't really going to get us where we want to go. Yeah, I no longer use the term invasive um, or invasives because um, I don't think it's fair to those plants. (laughs) And most of the plants that are put in that category were ones that humans brought here for some purpose, Mm -hmm. thinking we knew better about how things should be. And um, they are just doing what they know how to do. And I I equated actually 
to uh, how a lot of cultures are anti-immigrant. You know, we bring immigrants in because we want cheap labor and or we want free labor. And then they start growing and reproducing. And we're like, wait a minute, you know, go back to where you came from. It's like, no, you brought me here. (laughs) I, I think we need to um, embrace all plants and embrace diversity because what nature does know is that when a ecosystem is diverse is when it's the most healthy. Right. So um, that doesn't mean like you can't like eliminate certain plants that are bothering you occasionally, but to make it like the whole thing, you know, our whole purpose to like get rid of invasives is a form of fascism. And I, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. So, so, so I, I'm going to just pursue this a tiny bit more when you are, when you are in conversation, especially around environmental restoration or preservation, what would be your suggestion to people who are seeing an introduced plant get out of control in a wildland environment and as a result you are seeing a precipitous decline in biodiversity because of whatever the case may be let's say here um where i am in northern california uh introduced european star thistle is is such a plant and it takes over meadows and fields and outcompetes our native grasses and our wildflowers and the bees will uh, certainly the honeybees for instance and some of our native bumblebees have adapted to use the the thistle as a nectar and pollen plant how would you tell or or recommend that uh, an environmentalist or a home gardener who's dealing with a situation like this how should they approach that with your mindset well there's a couple of different ways. I mean, I, I work with a local wildlands conservancy group mm-hmm. and, you know, I've expressed my opinion. The most important thing is like, whatever you do, don't use Roundup. <laughs> like, yeah. first of all, do not use Roundup. Um, or any other herbicide that might any, be on the shelf right after Roundup. Right, right. And, you know, that's like compounding the problem. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so that's rule number one. Um, If you want to spend your time digging it out, great. You can do that. The thing I have found that works in my garden is what I call overplanting, not not planting too much of something, but planting something on top of something else. So, you know, if you think of like the hierarchy of aggressiveness. <laughs> um, I did have a patch of thistles that I didn't really want. Um, and so I planted horseradish there. And the horseradish took over the thistles. I don't have a problem with thistles anymore. So you can work, you know, try to understand and and listen and and look, you know, at what nature that that plant is trying to tell you. And what the soil is trying to tell you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for example, thistles have very deep roots, root systems. So you got to substitute it with something that is deep or, you know, plant a tree. Um, so there's a lot of ways to work with nature. 
um, and collaborate, but it's not a war. It's a festival. (laughs) (laughs) It is a festival. And, you know, I think that um, this is another through line in the book is the importance of not always just being reactive and assuming that you're expectations or your constructs are right in the given moment and to sit still for a little while and pay attention to to what, as you are saying, these plants are doing and what they're trying to tell you about the environment, the exact circumstance and what might be needed rather than, again, a, a battle and war mentality. Well, and that's the other thing from a shamanic standpoint, you should look up what that plant is trying to tell you and and there's you know you can do it yourself through journeying or there's books that can help you find you know what is the spiritual significance of a certain plant um and often once you absorb and learn that message then the problem goes away so that's the other thing is to realize that these these plants and these beings are trying to communicate with us and they'll keep getting more and more aggressive until they finally get our attention. Right, right, right. I would love to end our conversation today, Maria, by having you read a little bit. I was thinking of something from your entry on milkweed, a plant friend you came to call Mother Milkweed. This is a section that you wrote close to the summer solstice, but I think it's so very appropriate for this time too, as we close in on the winter solstice. Maybe start from the end of the entry with On All Sides. On both sides of everything, people are banging their heads against a brick wall over and over again. How can we shift our perspective? Can we look at sexuality, love, and motherhood with new eyes that are open to considering different paths forward? Life is sacred. All life is sacred. Freedom is sacred, too. I suspect if we put all our energy into finding a new path forward, we can find a way to care for babies, mothers, and all people in a better way, a more loving way, putting all the the teachings from nature into practice and bringing us all into balance. Nature needs us to learn how to love, and our children and their children need us to learn how to love. We already are love made visible. We are already connected by the glowing threads of love. We just have to open our eyes to see, and more importantly, open our hearts to feel it. What do we need to feel? Love, nature, magic. Once when I was planting something, I accidentally dug up the giant white underground runner root of a milkweed. It was so thick and strong, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was the size of a garden hose, but pure white. Milkweed spreads from a mother plant, of course, I only learned this after my journey, that sends out runners from which other milkweeds sprout up. This underground root is like our power, our thread of love, our connection to each other and to the earth. It's there whether we see it or not. It's always been there. Now it's up to us to tap into it and heal our hearts because that's where the healing needs to start. We can hold hands together and create a force stronger than any hatred. Your heart, my heart, our hearts. That's our work here together. The thread that connects us cannot be broken. 
We rise and fall together. Healing the human heart is what will heal the planet. Nature is waiting. Ah, yes. Thank you, Mother Milkweed. Thank you so much for being a guest on the program today and for the gift of love, nature, magic, and sharing it forward. Maria Rodale, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program today. Oh, thank you so much. It was a lovely conversation to have, and I appreciate your work so much. Thank you. Maria Rodale of the famed Rodale Organic Gardening Family Institute and Legacy is a self-described explorer in search of the mysteries of the universe. Author, artist, activist, and recovering CEO, Maria serves on the board of the Rodale Institute and is also a former board co-chair. Throughout her career, Maria has advocated fiercely for the potential of organic regenerative farming and gardening to heal the damage wrought by pesticides and industrial agricultural practices. Maria is the author of Organic Manifesto and Scratch, and she writes children's books as well. She was featured in the documentary Kiss the Ground. A mother grandmother and crazy gardener, Maria lives and gardens in Pennsylvania, right near where she was born. Maria's newest book, Love, Nature, Magic, Shamanic Journeys into the Heart of My Garden, is available now from Chelsea Green and is available from all your best independent local bookstores or wherever you get your books. Just in time for the season ahead, links to some of my favorite independent bookstores can be found over in this week's show notes, which you can always find under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. While you're there, make sure to subscribe to my mailing list for weekly podcast links, images, my thinking out loud notes, and upcoming events. That's all at cultivatingplace.com. For those of you that might be interested in a little bit more on the Rodale Institute, here's a little background. Since 1947, when it was founded, the Rodale Institute has taken the lead in the U.S. in developing a better, natural, and more responsible way of modern farming by conducting research into the cultivation of healthy, living soils. Now, many groups like this have proliferated since, and they are welcome to the field, but the Rodale Institute is home to the longest-running side-by-side comparison of organic versus conventional farming practices through their farming systems trials begun in 1981. Their research focus areas include developing organic solutions to pests, disease, and weeds, mitigating and adapting to climate change, and growing nutrient-dense foods. Their research has proven that organic systems produce competitive yields after a transition period, that organic systems produce yields of up to 40% higher than conventional farming in times and places of drought, 
and they have the potential to earn farmers three to six times greater profits from the value add. Further, they improve soil health and build soil organic matter over time. They use 45% less energy and they release 40% fewer carbon emissions. So when they ask the question, what's next for organic? The answer is constant innovation. They lead the way. They have many colleagues in the field, such as the Regenerative Organic Alliance, the Kiss the Ground movement, the permaculture and milkwood permaculture movement in the world. And we need every one of those voices helping us grow a better future. Because even as gardeners, we are farmers and land managers on a smaller scale. And we too make a difference from this exact kind of education and information. Thanks to all the researchers out there helping us. Join us again next week when we revel in another Gardener's Journey story, this time from UK-based Marshall Farrell. Known as Afroliage Online, Marshall's book, Uprooting, From the Caribbean to the Countryside, Finding Home in an English Country Garden, will grow you in ways warm and wonderful. That's next week right here. Join us. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you, through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. At this time of year, when we are being bombarded on all sides at all times for requests for support from the many endeavors we believe in in this world and for some endeavors we might not believe in, I am especially grateful for those of you who support Cultivating Place with dollars, with words of support, with listening hours, and many, many shares forward. We really do grow this world better and differently when we grow together. From the bottom of my garden heart, thank you. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the gracious generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doulis Transcription, and communications support from associates Deanna Newpert and Matt Valiga. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Tell your public radio station to find us there. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.